The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Today we are in the second paragraph, really, of the first chapter of Philippians. Last week we started a study that's going to take us through this whole letter. It's a short letter. It's only four chapters, 104 verses, but it's packed with good stuff. And the title that I've put onto this sermon series, you see it on the screen, Joy No Matter What. And that's a bold statement because it's not always easy to have joy, especially if we allow our circumstances and maybe events going on in our lives to dictate whether or not we're filled with joy. And let me just make this disclaimer up front. If I didn't say it last week, I should have. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness tends to be more temporary. It tends to be based more on how you feel, what's going on in your life. Are you having a good day or not? Joy is much more permanent Joy is based on things that are not temporary. This is why we find joy in Christ, because Christ is not temporary. Christ is eternal. And if we have a relationship with Christ, our joy is built on Him and His abiding presence with us. Therefore, our joy cannot be taken from us. We might be unhappy. We might experience a challenge here and there. We might experience a whole string of challenges. But we need to understand if we're following Jesus, our true joy cannot be stolen from us. Not by anything in this world. That's, that's a, a foundational uh, truth we need to remember. So as we continue on through this letter today, I want to ask uh, a question, uh, maybe a, a series of questions. What is it about the Christian faith that excites you? What consumes your time? What really gets you going? I mean, uh, and I guess what I mean to say is there's uh, seemingly an endless number of subgroups of confessing Christians who invest tons of time in different issues, things that are particularly uh, important to them. And there's lots of good ones. Lots of important things in our culture, just to name a few. Abortion, pornography, homeschooling, yes or no, economic justice, maybe a particular style of music or worship in the church, maybe a particular translation of the Bible that we enjoy more than others. And there's, there's plenty more. And this list is going to vary from one country to another, because you know, there's Christians all over the, the world so things that really emotionally grab people in one country may be different than what grabs someone in another country. All professing Christians. And, you know, many countries have a full agenda of really urgent demands, cultural, social demands. And so I'm not, I'm not here to suggest for a minute that any of those things are unimportant because that would be wrong. All those things are important. 
And they're important to us because we found, we found our forgiveness, our salvation, our hope of eternal life. We found it here in the Word of God that pointed us to Jesus Christ. And so because of that, now our, our perspective should be influenced by this book. Okay, So what we believe certainly should come from the Bible, and what we think and feel about different issues should be informed by God's Word. So all those things are important, but here's the thing we have to be really careful about when we consider what really gets us charged up and what we feel compelled to either speak an opinion on something or get involved in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, some sort of effort to undo a wrong or, or right a wrong in our culture. When things like this devour most of our time and passion, we have to ask this question. In what way in this fight, let's, let's, I'll just use an easy one for, uh, for an example. If I am really, really passionate about fighting against abortion, because I believe the Bible teaches taking a, a, a human life, especially the most vulnerable among us, that, that's murderous, that's, that's sinful and wrong. Okay? That's what I believe the Bible teaches about abortion. It's wrong. So if I want to really get involved in that, then here's the question I have to ask. In my efforts to come against what I believe is biblically wrong in our culture, how am I confessing the, the gospel in that effort? Am I just being um, angry? Am I just fighting against something I believe to be wrong? Or am I doing it in such a way that I am putting the gospel up front to say, I'm not just fighting to fight. I'm not, I'm not just coming against someone else. And I'm certainly not making it a personal attack about someone else. I am coming against this because I believe Jesus Christ teaches me in His Word this is sinful and it should be ended. How am I professing the gospel? How am I keeping the gospel central in what I'm doing? And here's why I ask that question. Here's why I believe we should all ask that question regardless of what we're talking about. If we do something or believe something or fight against something and we forget about the gospel and how the gospel informs that, let's say we do a good deed. A lot of people need things done like, what about like a wheelchair ramp? What if we go to someone's house and build a wheelchair ramp? If we go and do that project and do it really well and the people are thankful and we feel good and we leave and we never say, we never say specifically, especially if they ask, and, we, and, and they say, well, why would you do this for me? Well, I was just bored. I, I had some extra lumber in the house and um, so, no. Or how about this? Well, I just wanted to do something good. If we don't say, why did you do this for me? Because Jesus Christ loves you. He loves me. He forgave me of my sin. I'm trying to demonstrate to someone else the love of Jesus in a practical way. I, I did this. I participated in helping you because Jesus has helped me so much. I want you to know Jesus. I want to meet your needs and love you like Jesus loves you. See, that's what makes the church different. If you do something nice or you come against something evil but you don't do it 
from a gospel perspective, you could just be the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary Club or the United Way. The church, the church has the gospel. That's what makes the church different. We don't do nice things for the sake of doing nice things. We do good for our neighbor because Jesus said to do good for our neighbor. We, we, we come against wrong in culture because Jesus stands against the wrong in culture. We do what we do for a deeper purpose. Does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying? We can do the same activity but have a different outcome, a different purpose. We can still do the same activities but put it in a gospel picture so that way we're not just doing good to do good. We're doing good to show people the love of Jesus, which is what we're supposed to do. Make sense? See, that's what Paul is getting at in this letter. That's why he's able to have joy regardless of what he's going through. And he's writing this letter from a prison cell. So it's the love for the gospel that has to guide our direction. So we have to see it as a priority. That's why today we're talking about the advance of the gospel. Let me read for us verse 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 1. And then we'll talk about two different things here and uh, see how they can apply to our lives today. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is what the Bible says. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, here it is, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we're here to come under the authority of your word. So Lord, I pray, don't allow me to mess it up. Don't allow me to say something that's not true according to your word. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit you'll speak to us really clear today and help us to be obedient. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Two major things in this paragraph, and Paul is trying to get at this purpose behind what he's doing. He's in jail, and you would think that would be foremost on his mind. But number one here today, advance the gospel regardless of your circumstance. Advance the gospel regardless of your circumstance. When Paul writes back to this church that he helped to begin ten years prior, the very first thing he says after he gets through with the introduction from last week, he says, now I want you to know this whole being in jail thing, it's really turned out great. So that sounds odd, right? He doesn't say, hey, um, you remember when 
Peter was in jail and y'all were praying for him and then he showed up at the door because the angel led him out of the prison. Could y'all do something like that? Could y'all have a little prayer meeting for me like you did for him and kind of get me out of here? He doesn't say that at all. He says, you know, this whole prison sentence has really, really worked out for the advance of the gospel. So this is a perspective that is uncommon. It's a joy-filled perspective that is not normal. You know why it's not normal? Because in this world, Jesus is not normal. According to this world, if you stand up for Christ and you claim to believe in the Bible as the inerrant, infallible Word of God, and you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, many people in our world will call you crazy and treat you as if you are crazy, like you don't have sound logic and reason. That's because they don't believe, because their hearts have not been changed, and they can't see what you see because they're looking through a worldly lens. The Bible says that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot understand spiritual things. It's the Holy Spirit of God gives us the ability to understand. Did you know that? If you are not in the family of God, if you don't belong to Christ, many things will not make sense to you. Even after God saves you, you'll read the Bible and the Holy Spirit's doing a work in you to gradually help you understand His Word. It doesn't just flip a switch. You grow, just like in anything else. So in this situation, we might expect Paul to tell these Philippian believers about his suffering, but instead, we learn about his circumstances only kind of as a passing thought, and he focuses on the progress of the Gospel. That's not normal. But look what he says about why it's so amazing. If you read... Into verse 13 it says, he expands, well, why, Paul, why is the gospel making progress? How do we know that? Look what he says. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known. Well known where? He says, throughout the whole praetorian guard or imperial guard and to everyone else. You know what that means? See, that, that's a key word right there. You know how many soldiers was in the whole praetorian guard? About 9,000. You know how many people knew why he was in jail? See, it wasn't just that he was in jail. Anybody can be in jail. I want to know why you're in jail. What would you do? You know what Paul did? He preached the gospel. He told people about Jesus. So understand what he's telling his church family here. He's telling them, did you know that just because of me getting thrown in jail, now more than 9,000 people have heard the gospel? God sent me to jail. That's not right, is it? That doesn't sound right. God allowed me to go to jail because more than 9,000 soldiers have now heard the name of Christ. Now, all of those didn't personally guard Paul. 
but you know they had to have shifts. So a bunch of people, a bunch of people physically, he was in the inner part of the prison. He was most likely, from what historical accounts talk about, he was not just, he wasn't a, a trustee, I put it that way. He wasn't walking outside cutting the grass. He was inside in the inner, in the inner area, probably chained to another guard. So he wasn't just roaming. So that means every time... Can you, can you imagine being chained up to Paul for 12 hours? <laughs> All you got to hear for 12 hours. Hey, let me tell you something else about Jesus. All right, I get it. I get it. Just shut up for a while. I'm trying to rest. You know, and then shift change. Well, you're not going to like this. He won't shut up about this Jesus. He's, you're going to be chained to him for 12 hours. So many people had, many soldiers had personal interaction, but more than 9,000 heard. In other words, the soldiers who were guarding him would then go and tell their buddies. You know what Paul told me today? The word of mouth. The gospel is contagious. It's being spread because Paul was so intent. He didn't sit there and have a pity party in his jail cell. He wasn't sitting there with his metal cup on the bars, but clang, 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 clang. You know, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't singing, nobody knows the trouble. Now, it was nothing like that. He was preaching. So that was his top priority. Oh, I'm in the church. Guess what? I'm going to preach. Oh, I'm in the coffee shop. Guess what? I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Oh, I got arrested. I'm going to jail. Great. Captive audience. Now I got all the other, cell, uh, other inmates and all the guards. They can't leave. They got to stay here. I'll tell them about Jesus. That's not a normal perspective. Who is going to be filled with joy because they're in prison? Paul is because he has a different perspective. He has joy in his heart because he sees through different eyes. He sees the opportunity where others may see a challenge. 9,000 soldiers. His message is so compelling it's, it's being shared by others. And because of his imprisonment, not only is he personally advancing the gospel, when he says back in verse 12, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really turned out for the progress of the gospel, not only is he personally telling, but other believers in Rome are now more actively proclaiming Christ because they see what Paul's doing. So his imprisonment and then his actions while he's in prison are motivating other people to be more bold with the gospel. This is just too cool how this works. It's exactly the opposite of what you might expect because the persecution of Paul because of the gospel, instead of, what did the people who arrested him think was going to happen? Oh, we'll stop this. We'll put him in jail. And what happened? The exact opposite. Because now he's preaching in jail and his buddies that are still free, oh, Paul got arrested because of the gospel. We better do more of this. So it increased. 
It's exactly the opposite of what they wanted. The brothers are more bold to speak the word, more fearless to speak the word. D.A. Carson said it this way, that just a whiff of persecution sometimes puts some backbone into otherwise timid Christians. I, I met a guy um, about six years ago. He, was a, uh, he is a church planter in China. And he is of... Chinese descent. He was in the United States briefly, and I met him and had a conversation with him up in the upper part of the state. And he told me something that day that I will never forget. He talked about a different perspective. He said, and we were talking about ministry in the church in America and ministry in the church in China. And, and right now, things in China are, are not good right now and they're getting progressively more difficult for Christians especially for missionaries he told me he said you know I don't think the American church will ever pray for persecution now and I, I'd stop him right there and say okay what do you mean pray for persecution. I know you're saying that we may not withstand persecution as well, but you said we wouldn't pray for it. He said, yeah, pray for persecution. He, and I said, so, so you mean like we would want it to happen? He said, right. I said, okay, continue. He said, I don't think the American church would ever pray for persecution because they don't understand the purpose of persecution. I said, okay. He said, persecution purifies the church. It's okay. Explain. He said, if there's a threat, a physical threat to you, because of your belief in Christ, your alignment with Christ, if you know when you go to a gathering of God's people and you have a, an open Bible and you're studying God's Word, professing belief in Jesus Christ, if you know that when you do that, your life is in danger, you're not going to do it and just play around. You're going to take it seriously because you know that there's an actual cost. Did you hear me? There's a cost to follow Jesus. What did it cost us socially, economically? Other, what did it cost us? And I'm not talking about tithes and offerings. That's a, that's a gift. That's a, a, that's a privilege. That's worship. I'm talking about what did it cost us to walk in that door today? Did anybody come through the door like this? Looking to see if the police were around? Did anybody check a Sunday school room for um, bugs like listening devices? Has anybody this whole time we've been sitting here worried that the military might bust in the back door and cart us all off to a camp? Y'all, Has that thought crossed your mind? Why you been sitting in here till I just said it? No. We come here freely without any fear. Oh, that 
she said something rude to me because, of I, because I told her about Jesus. Well, boo-hoo. That is not persecution. Persecution is I can't openly profess my belief in Christ or I might be shot. That's persecution. The government may take me away and I may never be heard from again. That's persecution. And so this brother told me, we don't understand the value of a pure church. See, I can tell you this. If, if you want a pure church, put a, put a cost on professing Jesus. Know that, oh, you want to join the church? All right, well, here's what might happen. The, the military might come in and cart us off. They might shoot us all in the head. They might, uh, you know, we might be never heard from again by our families. Uh, we might be beaten really bad. All that could happen if you come to church and profess Jesus, let alone own a Bible. You see what I'm saying? There's a cost to follow Jesus. And, and, and in the United States, I don't, we don't really experience that. We don't know what it costs other people in the world to profess the belief that we say we profess. It's a privilege, but it's costly. So, how important is it to hold on to the gospel? How important is it really to prioritize the gospel, the truth about Jesus, what he did, who he is, the fact that Jesus is the living God, the fact that Jesus came to this earth and lived a life free from sin, then laid his life down on a cross for you and me, in our place, as our substitute, that if we would place all our faith and trust in Him, that He would save us from our sins, give us forgiveness and eternal life, because He went to that cross of His own accord. He was buried, and on the third day, He rose victoriously. And He's at the right hand of God right now, praying for us. How important is that to the church I'll tell you, this, this, this will hit close to home, maybe some, more for some than others. I read an article two days ago. A church less than 30 minutes away from where we sit right now. Today is June the 30th, 2019. You know what's happening at a church less than 30 minutes from here right this minute? They're closing the doors and locking them forevermore. A church that has been around more than 120 years, just right, neighboring community, right down the road, not far. You know how many people were at church last week? Four. Closing the doors. And then they're going to meet again in a few months, figure out what they're going to do with the building and property. They're done. They're, 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 can you imagine? Today's the last service ever. They're done. And, and I know there's all kind of different things that could have contributed to that, but I've got a theory. It's just my perspective. You want, you want to know my perspective? They lost the gospel. Because I, I read the article, and I talked to someone who lived one block away on the same street as that church, and you know what they told me? You know, several years ago, several years back, they just... They kind of just started going in a more liberal theological direction. They, they, they got away from the Bible. They, weren't, you know, they just weren't doing what they used to do back when they were doing well, you know, 30, 40 years ago. They just they didn't do that anymore. 
They didn't, they didn't value the Bible anymore. They didn't do what... They just went more liberal, so they got away from, from the truth of Christ and just started doing their own thing. And guess what? Today, they're closing the doors forever. How important is it to hang on to the gospel? I mean, this, this church, they started you know, changing their theological beliefs. They strayed from the truth of this Bible. Mission was no longer a priority. Evangelism, no longer a priority. Discipleship, no longer a priority. Serving the community, no longer a priority. The person in the article actually said, yeah, we hadn't reached anybody in a while. We hadn't reached any... I don't know if it was young people or what, but, but I remember reading a sentence. I should have quoted it so I wouldn't misspeak, but we hadn't reached, we hadn't reached anybody in a while. How important is it that we, that we actually hold on to this? Look around. Just, everybody, look, just look around the room. There's a few more than four people here. Can you imagine? Look down your row. How many people's on your row? Is it more than four? What if that was all that was here? I'm just telling you, if you lose the gospel as a church, you've lost your reason for existence. The truth of Christ is why we're here. We've been given a, a task. So all that, this second portion is much shorter, I promise. But the first one, we're advancing the gospel regardless of our circumstances. Second, we're advancing the gospel despite ill will from other people. So when you get down to uh, verse 15... Paul has said already that he's uh, in, a, in a position because God allowed him to be there to, prog to, the, to uh, the, the, prog the progress of the gospel, the advance of the gospel. People in the, in the Praetorian Guard, all the soldiers are hearing. But then he says, 15, he says, some people are preaching Christ from envy and strife. In other words, there are people, once Paul got put in jail they saw his imprisonment as an opportunity. Hey, um, Paul is kind of the star preacher. He's, you know, everybody likes to hear Paul. And so uh, now that he's in prison, guess what? We don't have the competition anymore, so now we can step up and people will come to hear us preach. So there were actually some people, Paul says, preaching just because they wanted an audience. Not because they cared about what God said necessarily, not, maybe not as a high priority, but they just saw, hey, Paul's out of the picture now, so let's preach, and now people will like us like they like Paul. Envy, jealousy, that's not a pure motive. So then, look what Paul says. Some of them are preaching from goodwill, some out of love, knowing that I'm appointed to defend the gospel. But then he says, others out of selfish ambition, not from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So here's how it goes. Hey, uh, Paul's in prison, so we'll preach now, and that'll make him really mad because he's in prison and he can't preach, and he can't be in the public eye anymore. He can't be in the spotlight, so that'll bother him. Meanwhile, he's got 9,000 guards in there he's preaching to, so, you know, he's okay. But that's what they thought. They thought we'll make him mad. We'll make him um, discouraged. So we'll add insult to injury. He's already in jail, but now he'll hear 
that we're gathering his, it's like, hey, we're, we're going to steal his church members. <laughs> that never happens, does it? Y'all all right? Everybody okay? So there's people preaching in his absence, and some of them are doing right and doing it for the right reason. Others are not. But look at verse 18. This is the most beautiful part of this paragraph, the way it ends. He says, what? So what? What am I supposed to do? What then? And look, what he, look how he answers. I just want Jesus to be preached. I don't care who does it. It doesn't have to be me. I don't have to be in the spotlight. I don't care. God put me there. I didn't put myself there. But he says, I don't care who preaches. I just want Christ to be proclaimed. I want the gospel to get out. If they're doing it for a wrong reason, that's between them and God. I don't care. The message is getting out. He wants people to get saved. That's it. He wants people to meet Jesus. That's his only priority. So when he recalls what's happening since he's been in jail, only that in, look at verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. The gospel's getting out. That's more important than whether or not he gets the respect in the church or not. It does not matter you know, it's amazing what can be accomplished when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. We're a family. There's arms, legs, face, eyes, nose, mouth. Every, every, read, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everybody's got a part to play. We don't all do the same things. We all have different gifts. God did it that way on purpose, and God's plans work out pretty good. Everybody has a different gift to bring. Everyone has a different uh, ability or skill or passion that they bring to the family. That means everything gets done well. That's the purpose of the family, the way God put it together. So Paul doesn't care if he's the one getting the credit or he's the one that gets the highest respect in the church. All he cares about is that Christ is proclaimed and he rejoices because of it. That's why he still has joy sitting in a prison cell because he knows he's not the only one preaching the gospel. It's still getting out. People are still getting saved. And that's what's important. You know, as Christians, we are called on to put the advance of the gospel at the center of our aspirations or our goals. And God has used this principle in Scripture to teach me something, even this week. I'm, I'm a, I've been a pastor 16 years, and I, as I do, as I serve in this capacity, I find that, I know you're going to find this so hard to believe, but I have some areas of insecurity. I don't like to think about them or talk about them, but I have them. I want everybody to like me. You ought to like me. I'm just... I'm just. But I, that's, I want everybody to like me. I don't particularly enjoy conflict. I don't like disagreements. Those things tend to bother me. I would always prefer, there's a verse in Psalm, we talked about Psalms this morning, Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Well, I want that to be true all the time. Just nothing but unity, nothing but get along, everybody doing the, you know, everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction, everybody's together, I want that all the time. Well, guess what? 
newsflash, it doesn't work that way. It's not going to be like that all the time. You know why? Because every single one of us in this room is a filthy, rotten, stinking sinner. And I'm, I'm leading the pack. Right? We're all sinners. So that means there's going to be disagreement. So when that happens, if someone doesn't like me or someone doesn't like the church or someone disagrees or what my first instinct is to be upset because I mean honestly why wouldn't somebody like me <laughs> see that's just I mean that's silly that's silly there I could give you a list if I, my list isn't long enough talk to my wife she will tell you why people would not like me think I'm joking She's right, though. I mean, she's not wrong. She's got... Anyway. Here's the thing. Not everyone appreciates or agrees with the truth. Sometimes when people are confronted with the truth, they get upset because their version of the truth is different from reality. And the really difficult part of all this is that as a, as a pastor or a, as a Christian, I don't have the option of straying from the truth. The, the Bible gives me the truth. I don't have the option of going away from it, especially not as a preacher, or else I wouldn't be a preacher. That's why you'll hear me pray often, Lord, you know me. Please don't let me mess this up. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm liable to do that. So as a pastor, I don't get the benefit of living in a fantasy world of my own creation. I have to deal with the truth of reality according to this Bible. That means that sometimes people will disagree with me. Sometimes people will not like me. Sometimes they're going to be upset with me. Sometimes people are going to think I'm a bad person. But guess what? I can't concern myself with that. I can't let that bother me. My ultimate priority in ministry and in life has to be advance the gospel. When I, you know what the best thing to do when you're in a bad mood and you're feeling discouraged? Go tell somebody about Jesus. You know how quickly you forget about your own problems and issues when you're telling somebody else about Jesus Christ? It just all just goes away because you're concentrating on, hey, this person might be going to hell when they die. I better tell them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, my little problems just seem insignificant because I'm focusing on the top priority. So when I, when I step behind this pulpit... And I get ready to preach this word. I can't be concerned with whether or not everybody likes me. I have to be concerned with the truth of Christ. And that's it. And just to, just to, to clear the air, nobody's told me they don't like me. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like confessing here, oh, somebody, somebody's got all, you know, that hadn't happened. I'm just telling you in general. I mean, it probably happened after today. 
but it hadn't, it hadn't happened yet. I'm just telling you, it's happened in the past. It'll happen in the future. But what's the most important thing? Tell somebody about Jesus. We are to take the Word of God with us wherever we go on purpose. So when I, when I go, I, it's not just, well, if I get a chance, I'll tell someone. No. We have, when we leave the house, we should leave the house with the intention. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Wherever I, wherever I, if I'm at the gas station, if I'm at the grocery store, wherever I, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, that's my intention. It's not going to be an accident when it happens. It's going to be on purpose. Does that make sense? Paul gives us the perfect example. He's in prison, full of joy, preaching the gospel. None of us, we're, we're all sitting here. We're free. We're free to preach the gospel. So let's do that. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.